This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil show on what is a pretty darn good day here in Minnesota, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205, not because necessarily anything with the, the specific, um, you know, you know, like the city council races or anything like that, but more because, yeah, it was the, it's, it's nice to see this culture war crap get beaten down and beaten down badly as no matter how much they try to say, we would, no, you didn't, no, you didn't, not, not even, not, no, no. <laughs> well, to be fair, they are in Minnesota. So I guess uh, a 333 batting average is, you know, you know, hey, you know, or a winning percentage, 333 winning percentage is considered to be a great thing. So, uh, Patrick, uh, you have been enamored with, we got a lot, we have a lot to go through. We have, we got Stein coming up here uh, in just a little bit. I do want to mention we also are expecting a ruling from the Minnesota Supreme Court at any point now on the Trump uh, being able to be on the ballot in Minnesota, expected to get appealed to the, Minnesota, the U.S. Supreme Court on that. We're keeping an eye on that. But more importantly, Patrick, you saw apparently the new flag images are being uh, displayed now. Yes, the State Emblem Redesign, Redesign Commission, say that five times fast, that has released the public submissions. Some of them are quite good. Some of them are pretty humorous. Some of them are kind of humorous and clever. You should go check those out because obviously you won't see them on the radio. But that is those have been released, so go take a look. And and uh, you like the duck, duck, gray duck one, apparently? Yes, there is one. I think it's really clever. It's a purple background with two yellow rubber ducks and a gray one. Ah. Now, are these the finalists, or are they just all the... the, the, the uh all the images they put out there. I believe these are any image that got submitted because there are uh, some that you'll go, that is definitely not going to be a finalist later. Well, I, you know, some of them, I, 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 they have a lot of North stars, a lot of blue and green, blue and green. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There's one that just has the old style Minnesota white circle logo and it's got a tater tot hot dish now in the middle of it. It's like, okay, it's not bad. I think you're you're kind of missing the point there. Lots of blue and green, lots of stars. Um, the um, there's one that was drawn by a kid. Land of ten thousand lakes, Minnesota. Well, you need to add another end, but you know, oh no, he did. He, he kind of put a small one in there when he realized he'd forgotten to. Um, the loon. What is your thought on the loon being in, on the image? I'm kind of, I could be with or without that. I do have my favorites, but, uh, you know, the loon is uh, <clears throat> certainly an interesting one, excuse me, but 
Have you seen the ones that were submitted, the loon with lasers coming from its eyes? Yeah, nothing wrong with that. And that's, that's <laughs> it tells the Dakotas to keep in line. You, yeah. know? you know, you can change the flag, whether it's Wisconsin or Iowa kind of getting up in our hair. We can uh, just oh, rotate the flag and get zapped. So one guy did like a Maryland thing here. And he did it only he did as opposed to the weird. He did a flannel pattern. Okay, I'll give you credit on that one. Um, the Minnesota Republic with a mosquito. You know that's not. I mean, hey, I appreciate a good comedy joke like the next person. You know it's not going to get accepted if you put the mosquito on there. Um, oh, I do like this this one. The the state seal submissions. I like this one. A seal of the state of Minnesota. It's nice. It's just a circle, blue circle with a uh, green and a river and. 1858 and a nice little yellow north star in there so not bad although it does look a little bit like um the minnesota twins new m you notice that that little star that's on there a little cap with that m so ooh, there's a few state seal ones that are nice all right we'll have to see how this goes we, we have to have anita uh, gall back because i mean we have a, a debate on how many of these were going to be purple and so far, I don't see too many purple, but I know that I know there's got to be a few purple ones in there. I know you, you they're just ha- well, there's one right there. It was purple. Um, so there you go. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. So Stein's going to join us here in a little bit. Uh, like I said, Patrick, help me keep an eye out here in case we do get a uh, word here on you know, whether or not the, uh, the state of Minnesota has uh, determined whether or not it is um, – uh, you know, the, the Donald Trump will be on the ballot. Um, uh, <laughs> I just saw the laser loon. Not bad. Not bad. Okay. 952-946-6205. Um, the, 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 what do you, can, can you get from the results here in Minnesota? Well, there's not really that much. I mean, I, I, okay, so I think I got into a nice discussion uh, with uh, uh, Jason across town here a little earlier, his, you know, his point about that, that people are not tired of getting their taxes raised because they did raise their taxes in St. Paul. And that, that one easily, and I'll get, I'll get to all these kind of things a little bit later on. I, I made the point, I said, you know, we in Minnesota, if you explain what the taxes go to and that there are, you know, bumpers in place to prevent it from being abused, you know what? We're okay with that. You know, and, and that definitely does is one of those things where most people seem to be okay with that. So th- that's one thing. Um, I, I would say, I mean, the ranked choice voting in Minnetonka overwhelmingly stayed. I, you know, to a point, I almost wonder was was that just they didn't read the room correctly over there when they brought this this ballot initiative to try to reverse and undo the ballot the the uh, ranked choice voting out there. I mean, they are staying with it. That's for sure. The city council, I, I think that Kulikin and I yesterday had an interesting conversation in regards to the, um, the, the inner city cores that the reality is, is that I think that they're a little bit more, I guess you'd say, yeah, yeah, I think they are a little bit more, you know, moderate Democrat or traditional Democrat as opposed to far left Democrat than I think people want to expect there. So. Uh, just you know, and one little you know side note there. Um, overall, I, I think the most important thing is that you know the extremism sort of kind of got beat back, and I'll I'll talk about that uh, with with uh, with a lot of a plum coming up here a little bit later on. Um, 
the from MinPost, let's talk Minneapolis first. A coalition of Minneapolis candidates fueled by left-wing energy and skepticism in the status quo in City Hall secured a majority of the city council Tuesday's municipal elections, winning seven of the 13 seats. But that does not, you know, the one thing that's a problem here is that you need nine to have a veto-proof majority, and they do not have that as of right now. Um the I would really I was I feel really hopeful for the future of Minneapolis. I feel electric. I think we did something really important tonight, said RN Chowdhury, who bested Luther Ranheim and Nancy Ford for the open 12 seat with the support of two key members of that last week coalition, the local Democratic Socialists of America chapter and an allied pact that aimed to deny uh, Fry more support on the council. Political opponents of that support Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry had hoped to add new allies to the ideological fragmented council, outraising their opponents for by perhaps four to one margin in hopes to swing the few key toss-up races with some final finance reports still to come. There is at least one silver lining for the more centrist faction. Andrea Jenkins, the incumbent council president, held off a fierce challenge for her uh, from her left to win re-election. Despite losing the DFL endorsement to Soren Stevenson last spring, uh, Jenkins rallied to hold her Ward 8 seat by just 38 votes in the ranked choice election after second choice preferentials uh, from two other candidates in the race were added to the totals. I'm so grateful for the voters of Ward 8 for trusting me with another term in the Minneapolis City Council, Jenkins said in a statement. My team and I ran a campaign based on deep and abiding love of the city, a campaign based on progress and experience of building bridges to keep the city moving forward. This is exactly what we'll continue to do with the next term. I'll come back to that here in just a second. I also want to congratulate my opponents for running a tough campaign, Jenkins, Jen, uh, Jenkins said. I appreciate the ideas I've been shared through our course in the campaign. I hope we can work together to find common ground on the policies that we have uh, agreement on. Despite their financial mismatch, candidates aligned with the left-wing coalition more than held their own. No matter what happens, we have proved that, that in the city that's the people that make it happen, Stevenson told supporters at his election night party. No matter how much money they spend, we're going to still stand up and say we have a kinder, safer city. Part of his problem, by the way, Stevenson's problem was he really did not get a lot of second-place votes. He was mostly a first-place vote. And I looked at the numbers and he didn't have the majority to get the win outright. And I kept looking at that. I was like, there's no way in the planet he's going to really be able. I mean, he was so far behind Jenkins that even if a lot of those votes did go to him, which apparently they did. I mean, it was a pretty close race. It was still just too much of a hurdle to overcome. In the Ward 7 race, Katie Cashman bested her closest challenger, Scott Graham, by 177 vote margin winning just under 51% of the vote. I'm hopeful for all the future that holds in Minneapolis. Cashman's campaign said in a statement, I really feel honored that I will have the opportunity to serve my community. Incidentally, the past Saturday, third-place candidate Kenneth Foxworth issued a public statement accusing Graham of making hurtful remarks about his campaign. And while MinPost has an MinPost story independently reported on whether the allegations are true or the kerfuffle that impact the outcome, the second-choice preferences on Foxworth's supporters were decisive on, in the outcome. Most of Fry's allies were already on the council, sailed to comfortable victories in their own races on Tuesday. The mayor's veto power is also still likely to carry weight. His closest ideological counterparts are still control enough seats to likely deny the left-wing bloc a veto-proof majority of nine votes on the long list of issues. We'll get back to that in a second. There's left, uh, there's left, and then there's further left. That's Minneapolis. Fry told Minden Post in an interview well before the final results were public. I want to work with a group of pragmatic progressives that want to work together that want to find areas of unity to move the city forward. There may be differences between the ideological leanings of the groups backing these new council members 
and the council members themselves. For instance, Chowdhury uh, uh, supports passing a rent control policy, but doesn't support a no exceptions cap on annual rent increases that the DSA has championed. Cashman, too, has said he's opposed the 3% cap on annual rent hikes, favors remedies for struggling tenants other than rent control. She doesn't support enacting multi-million dollar municipal sidewalk shoveling program, but does believe smaller scale targeted shoveling programs can make a difference. Said like someone who doesn't have it is, is, is does, you know does not have a handicap and has a hard time getting through the city in snow. Cashman also favors starting small uh, small, saying that sidewalk shoveling programs cannot be created to clear every sidewalk in the city. I don't know why they can't. Trust me, there's a lot of Canadian cities that do it pretty darn good, and you just yeah, I just. Like I said, this is, you know, we're supposed to be in an age where we understand this. You have a lot of people that have, you know, um, um, you know, you know, a handicap of some sort that make it more difficult to get down the street. And all of a sudden they got to go through a snowbank. That's not good. In an interview, Chaudhria called for a consensus building approach to the governance of City Hall, saying she hoped to change our politics to one that really about community building and coming together. That looks like having a hard conversation on public safety, police accountability, housing, and taking time to understand that being pragmatic does not mean saying no. It is an eagerness to find common ground and a solution. Similarly, Jeremiah Ellison, who won re-election to his seat representing Ward 5, the most racially diverse district in Minneapolis City Council seats, despite ideological leanings that Ellison's own administration skewed to the left of the average resident of his ward, he credited his victory to outreach in the ward and his voters' willingness to reward him for sticking to his convictions. I think that it's really important for Northsiders could be a pretty conservative base in the North side. People know that I'm left-leaning. People know that I'm a leftist, but they see that I'm also very collaborative. I see that I'm a good listener. And I think of, of um, uh, I think they respect that. So um, first of all, let me, let's, you know, so, you know, when I say that these inner city cores are not as, kind of extremist leftists as you might think they are. What I'm saying is this, sure, progressives do well in some, but it's not this veto-proof majority on the city council. They, you know, you know, Jenkins was one that they targeted to basically, you know, you know, replace and that would have probably one, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, but would Jenkins would have probably given them a especially on on you know, um, issues they agree with a, a consensus, but the reality is, is that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, a more moderate candidate won out there. Your more, more uh, left-leaning candidates, Chavez, Wansley, uh, Chudai, Chowdhury, Ellison, Cashman, Payne, uh, those seven. Uh, Osman kind of lies in the middle in Ward 6. Jenkins, Palomasano, Koski, Rainville, and Vita are the ones on the more I, I don't want to say right because that's not a fair assessment. That's that's kind of uh, you know, they're still Democrats. You and, you know, Republicans don't even care about what goes on in the city of Minneapolis. So, I mean, you're you're probably your most far right you're ever going to get in the city of Minneapolis is probably someone who's like, you know, in the in the kind of in the moderate stance of a Barack Obama. That's going to be the most moderate. So it kind of gives you the idea there. Um, it's it it. I don't see a lot of budging from the Fry block, the five: uh, Jenkins, Palmasino, Koski, Rainville, and Vita. I don't I don't see a lot of I, I don't see a lot of wiggle room there. So I think Fry's 
veto power will still be in check or still be uh, be a check on the city council. But I'm going to say he's going to if he's he does need to they they are the ones that are going to write these you know bills and laws and this is the way it's going to be. I mean, this is the people that are going to come up with the ideas. You need to work with them because the majority of them are not going to be in your camp. And so it will be interesting to see how Fry does reach out to them and uh, kind of goes with that. But yeah, I, I also tell you what, let, let's take a break. Come on back. When I do return, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the DFL's got some big problems in the city of Minneapolis and they, and they have to figure this stuff out, especially before the next major elections in the city. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. I see you calling. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 952-946-6205. Stein here in about 12 minutes. Um, so there is a pretty big problem that the DFL has in these in this city. And and it comes down to you, you. You guys have to have. I get it. You are generally. I, I'm going to say I, I, the, the DFL has some issues statewide. I mean, I I mean, I've I've always been amazed at when I've done Democrat of the Day. How many times I will talk to a Democrat who's clearly not a Democrat? Who's you know? How many times have you heard me talk to someone, especially in outstate Minnesota? It's like, well, I don't really associate with the DFL, but I'm a more moderate Republican. And you're like, okay, so the DFL, how did this person get the nomination? How I get it. You're desperate for someone to run in the district, but some shouldn't that person? I don't know. Be a Democrat. Be a DFLer. Uh, that's the case. What's going on in the cities, I think, is a little bit more of an interesting problem because what you get is a uh, you, you're getting a a, a world where the kind of the, the the I think it's because it's so progressive, and I mean to a point, some of these candidates, um, uh, you know, the, the you know, some of them were what endorsed by the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, you know, so you get some of them who are technically not even Democrats, not DFLers and stuff like that, that are running um, in, in this case. And so you're dealing with with kind of a, a palette where you have all this you know, kind of, you know, left side diversity. So um, I, I get it. But the problem is this, is that you can't play favorites as much as you guys have been doing. It makes the entire okay. We can have a long discussion about the endorsement process for the DFL party. I mean, it, it's I mean, it, it's kind of one of those things where it you know to a point. Sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't help. It it it, it usually is 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 kind of more of a you know of a, uh, a bellwether of what the other side needs to do to basically beat them. I get that, but it was really kind of inappropriate for the amount of DFLers to be out there openly campaigning against the DFL-endorsed candidate. I, and don't get me wrong, I get it. You people have a right to go out and defend something. But then when you don't have your DFLer of the choice that the DFL party has as the as the candidate, then I'm sorry, it, it, I, I, 
you got to show some loyalty to that because that's the person that the endorsement convention picked. And then to send in everyone else to basically campaign for them, you got to have some level of decorum that basically says you can't send in a state senator or a House member uh, to do this, uh, you know, as a, as the DFL House member for this district. I'm here to endorse the non-DFL candidate. And I get it. There, some of these guys scare you. And, I, and that's part of the problem here. Some of these guys scare the DFL because they are so far to the left. They, you know, they, they're kind of concerned about, you know, what exactly would happen. But I, I think that, you know, you, you, you need to put better controls on your, your endorsement process and better controls on and what you're doing there. Because frankly, I just, I think that you are, you're, you're losing a lot of credibility. I mean, it doesn't help you had an all out brawl at one of your endorsement conventions. And yeah, you, you know, part of this is you need to have a little more control of your system. But I, I think that it doesn't do your brand any good in one of what should be your hotbed. I mean, I get it. You, you, you win your statewide elections in the suburbs. But, you know, you need the people of Minneapolis to not only volunteer but to donate, alienating them, alienating your best asset in the state as far as volunteers go is not a really good strategy. And it's it's really hard. I mean, today there's going to be a lot of, of DFLers going out. Hey, guys, yeah, the DFL endorsed candidate didn't win and was so far to the left we got scared to death of them. But, you know, hey, great campaign. We got some ideas. You guys are on board with us again, aren't you? No, they're not. They're not going to be. You can't do that sort of thing. And then expect them to be no repercussions. And I'm sorry, one of the reasons why you might be seeing the Democratic Socialists of America start gaining more and more power. I mean, you you basically, if you alienate your base there, you you basically all you're going to do is, you know, drive people to other options. And I mean, like I said, it's the inner city. There is a, is a natural progressiveness that's there. I just I don't think it's as much as people think it is. I mean, I think, you know, if, if if it was as people stated, the Minneapolis City Council today would have easily an, a, a veto proof majority from from Mayor Fry. And, and that's they don't have that. But that being said, I think you have to start cleaning up the, the how the whole process works in Minneapolis because this is I mean I can say this as a guy who lives in Hopkins I'm looking I'm from the outside looking in it looks like it's an absolute mess and it looks like there is no there's no loyalty to the DFL endorsed candidates it looks like no one's controlling the the the, the spigot of who can you know who's who can flow out of the faucet and, and get a DFL nomination it seems like that these these there there doesn't seem to be much in the way of 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 understanding that there there are going to be some people that if you get to run might bring some other people with them to a convention that that are not looking for a more peaceful outcome. I think that you need to understand that as well. I don't think you've destroyed yourself in the city of Minneapolis or St. Paul or Duluth, but I think that you guys need to understand that if you don't start cleaning up your act, it's not going to be that long before the DFL brand might not be nearly the the top seller in the district that you think it's going to be. I'm just, I, I think, you know, like I said, from the outside looking in, Minneapolis DFL was a freaking mess. It was an absolute mess. And that's not, that's not, 
That, that's that's on you guys. That's not on me. That's on you guys. And you need to you need to step up. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Let's take a break. When we come on back, national uh, results. We'll talk with Stein about this because it was a humdinger of a night for the Democrats nationwide. We'll talk about that. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff, 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 Jeff. J-E-F-F, Jeff. J-E-F-F, Jeff. J-E-F-F, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff Stein is a national presidential expert and noted author. You can find his books over at Next Chapter Books, TotallyIowa.com, the Iowa Politics Report, and the Iowa Business Report. Come to us from KXEL in Cedar Falls, Waterloo, where Jeff is currently sequestered right now it's it's it always is fun when it is an election night uh and uh, there's always a lot of stuff that's coming on down the line hi jeff how are you today uh matthew i am far better than people who identify themselves as republicans let's just <laughs> leave it at that there 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 are some interesting attempts to try to spin this what happened last night as a positive but brr, that was Okay, that was a beat down every race outside of the Mississippi governor's race. And I'll get back to that here in a little bit. Everything went the Democrats way. And we'll start in Ohio, where I guess to a point, surprisingly enough, the abortion issue um, is now enshrined in the state constitution. That was a 13 point win for the the, the, uh, pro-choice crowd. One point less than the pro-marijuana crowd, by the way. <laughs> they got a 14-point win there. Uh, so you can now get smoked dope, in, or you soon will be able to smoke dope in Ohio as well. Uh, but, you know, that that was a clearly on the ballot. The fact that the Republicans up until that election were pleading, they knew this where this was going. They were trying their hardest to to, to try to say, we'll be, we're willing to work with the other side, but it was too little too late. A couple of things based upon what you said at, at the outset. I have heard very little spinning. I have heard an awful lot of, okay, we need to come to grips with the fact that we keep losing elections. This is the voice of a Republican speaking, not me. I'm an independent. Not you. You're just, he's, 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 he's it's, it's time for magical theater of the mind with Jeff Stein. Today, yeah. Jeff is playing the role of a Republican. Go ahead, Jeff. No, 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 no. <laughs> you will not trap me into that corner. I am saying... <laughs> Uh, because it, here was the thing. A lot of the DeSantis people last night were saying, well, see, they lost in Kentucky. The Trump guy lost. You can't win with Trump. So in other words, you've got a cadre of Republicans celebrating the loss by other Republicans. OK, you got that going on. I put in my commentary for today the listing of places and it's virtually every place where Democrats outspent Republicans. And that includes Ohio, where you started. Let's talk about that in Ohio. How many ballot initiatives have come up since the Dobbs decision? My count is eight. Yeah. How many have the Democrat left-leaning pro-choice, phrase whatever you will, how many of the eight have, has that side won? They're eight for eight, correct? They're eight for eight. Okay. <laughs> and, and, are- and and it should be mentioned in places like Kansas and Montana. I mean, not exactly Liberalville. It is Hall of Fame numbers. They're yes. eight for eight. Okay. The smart Republicans today are saying, 
we got our hat handed to us. And I say hat because this is a good, friendly radio program. Caboose. <laughs> they got their patooties handed to them. Yes. And <laughs> if that's not in a promo, I don't know radio. Okay, so, and, and, and they're saying, we've got to do better on our messaging. Okay, maybe. But maybe it's the message. It's not the messaging. Okay, that's one of the things that they're they're yet at least they're coming to grips with the fact that they flat out lost as yeah. opposed to saying we was robbed. But when you look at all of the the key things, Virginia legislature, I know I'm getting them way out of order, but forgive me. No, actually, Virginia you're going you're going in the right order here because there is a very specific thing I want to bring up here in okay. conjunction with Ohio overwhelmingly enshrining abortion rights there. Virginia, yep. go right ahead. Talk about Yukum's uh, bad day there. Well, the, the, the overall point is, of all of the things that we could have mentioned, and I'm talking about New Jersey, I'm talking about Ohio, I'm talking about Virginia, and Mississippi, I think I had eight of them listed. The only one where the Republicans outspent the Democrats was in Mississippi. And it's the only one they won. All right? And so... Let's play the abortion string out. Ohio, clear, resounding. Virginia, the Yonkin Sears ticket won the governor's mansion and lieutenant governor's chair in 21. Yes. They picked up one chamber of the legislature at that time by a narrow margin. And so this was supposed to be the next great election. Hold the chamber you have, Republicans, flip the other one, and then you can pass all the anti-abortion bills you want. Well, a funny thing happened on the way to doing that. They not only did not flip the one chamber, they lost the one that they had. So is there a message that is being sent by voters, regardless of the part of the country, regardless of the size of the state? And, and here's the big issue with messaging with Republicans, and you and I have talked about this at length. For 49 years, almost as long as you've been on the planet, 49 years, it's called, it's called kissing up to the host. For 49 years, Republicans said, and they raised money on, we've got to overturn Roe versus Wade. This is a state's decision. This is not a federal issue. And then the dog caught the car and everything changed. And now all of a sudden the Republicans don't know what to do. Because they cannot win it state by state, as is proven eight for eight. And the ones who now say, well, it's a federal issue. We need to pass a law in Congress. For 49 years, you said it was a state's issue. Now you're not happy with how it is at the state level. Oh, and I don't think it's getting out of the house, considering how bad these numbers have been. As you just pointed out, there's, right. there's you and I noticed what was it, a week and a half after uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, all of a sudden we started seeing races where things changed overnight. And it has not gone back. This is still out there. Here's why Virginia, I think, is very interesting. Glenn Youngkin was, is, was patting himself on the back as the great next great hope for the Republican Party. He wanted to take the House and the Senate. The whole thing that he, he he kind of, you know, molded his image on was this new moderate Republican stance on abortion. We're going to put a ban in, but it will be at 15 weeks, rape, incest, life of the mother, 
Also, well-being of the mother, which is an interesting addition there, will all be a factor in there. So it was a it was it, this new attempt by the Republicans to try to modify, especially from the far right, where no exceptions, the Speaker Johnson sort of mentality, no expe- exceptions even for the life of the mother sort of thing. They're trying to moderate it. They're trying to find a new thing. And what happens? He ends up losing. And he didn't lose that bad. I mean, he's still, it's, it's a very close in both the Virginia House and the Senate. But they did, he did lose them both now last night. And that was with the new moderate Republican stance. I don't know where the hell the Republicans go with this outside of maybe trying to say, whoever heard of abortion, what's that issue? I, I just don't know where they go. The smart ones say it's a state's rights issue and fight it at the state level. But this is the problem you have with a moral issue, if you will. And I may not state this very, very politely. I, and, and I've told this story to you before. Uh, I had one day in the radio studio here a Republican and a Democrat in the, sta- in the Iowa legislature. And they were both firm partisans. And they were both very good people, and they'd come in and have a good conversation. And I said to the Republican, you believe that abortion is morally wrong. Absolutely, it's killing babies. Okay, then why are there any exceptions? I mean, I just don't understand. Help me understand. Well, for political reasons, uh, you know, this is, okay, fine. So you go to the Democrat, and you say, you believe that it's a woman's right. Absolutely. Right up until the, uh, the moment of birth. Well, no, I don't want to go that far. Okay, it's either choice or not choice. Well, but for political reasons, dot, dot, dot. And it's like, okay, guys, here's the problem. You've got a moral issue, and you're trying to put a political gloss on it. Nobody's happy. Nobody can understand the issue because nobody's being fully genuine about it. That's the big issue right now. And the benefit for Democrats is public opinion and history. Okay? I don't have the number. You, you have your research staff look this up during the break, but how many, I see you're taking notes, you're going to yes. have, have your research uh, staff do this. Uh, what percentage of American adults were born after 1973? I don't know the answer. I'm not sure. But if you're 50, huh? <laughs> not sure. <laughs> not sure. Or D, not sure. But think about it. How many people are above or are, are 50 years of age or, or younger? Quite it's a few. A yeah, yeah, it's probably a majority of the 200 population. Million, 200 million of the population, probably. And they all grew up in a time when abortion was legal. Yep. So when you look at public opinion on an issue like this, most people are not getting into the morality. They're not getting into the in-depth into it. They simply say, this was legal my entire lifetime, and now it is not. And that doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. It's no more complicated than that. And so I don't think the Democrats have good messaging, but they have stats on their side. They have the age of the voters on their side. They have an absolute on the side. And I can say this in Minnesota is that you have abortion rights are enshrined in in the state constitution up here. Uh, You know, it's into law. You have these things. That's that's care. There is the minute you start trying to limit that, regardless of how you try to limit it, Mm-hmm. It, the Democrats are in the high the, the, the power position as far as the politics go. I would say in Virginia, if I'm the Democrats in Virginia, 
I start passing laws that basically can do it now in the House and the Senate there. Pass laws that basically enshrine abortion rights into law and put Youngkin into an absolute and every Republican into the worst position they can. Because you know what? The next in two years, it's going to sting again. They're going to, and they're probably going to lose the governor's office because even with this moderate approach that the Republicans are trying the minute it has any restrictions in there, that is such a turnoff for the voters. It is, this is, this is like you said, dog catches car, has no idea to do with it. And the longer they're holding on to it, the worse it gets for them. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the, the thing that they should do in Virginia is exactly as you say, put the governor in a corner Yeah. and, and make Easy. him choose, make him veto and if his lieutenant governor wants to succeed him in 2025, she's going to have to run on that record. That's what you do, okay? Because if we're going to make this a states' rights issue, and, and let's be really clear, I'm a huge states' rights guy, all right? Not respective to any particular issue. Sure thing, Jefferson. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, well, I was just reading, really, 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 okay. reading a little bit about the early part politics of America, the Hamiltonians versus the Jeffersons. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's my name? Jeff. Uh, okay, so the point is, yeah, I'm great with states' rights. I'm not thrilled with California's Prop 12 and, and uh, Bacon, but I have to recognize that there's an issue there. And and so similarly, if if you're going to have it be a state by state thing you're going to have these kinds of setbacks mm -hmm. and uh, you know, be careful what you wish for. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Last time I checked Republicans need Ohio. They need Virginia. Let's talk about two other races, Supreme court yeah. race in Pennsylvania guy runs. Yeah. I'm going to uphold abortion rights. Easy win there. Uh, Kentucky, not exactly the, not exactly the most liberal state out there. Uh, Bashir wins second there, and that whole that there was there was a lot there, but it was far right policies versus more moderate democratic policies, and he easily coasted to a second victory. Uh, well, it wasn't easy. It was fifty two forty eight. But here's the other thing: I'll in tell a you red about. in a red state, dude. That's 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 the okay. grand freaking canyon, dude. <laughs> okay, but now this this is the whole point. Okay, you're talking about far right this and far. Other Repub Republicans won state office. Mm -hmm. Republicans did really well in Kentucky with the exception of the governor's race. And the reason why I'm highlighting that is not to, to disagree with you per se, but I saw all these people online because, of course, that's where the truth is, social media. And they were saying, well, now, wait a minute. All these Republicans won, but the Democrat won for governor. That can't possibly be. No. Yes. Yes, it can. And here's why. Because all politics is local. Yes, Kentucky is generally a red state, but voters have an independent mind. Take notes on this one, boys and girls. Voters have an independent mind. Yeah. Okay. For I mean, let's think, think of it this way. You've got Mitch McConnell there in Kentucky, not in the most robust of health, I would say. No. It is entirely possible, and, and I, I don't wish ill on anyone, it's entirely possible the next governor of Kentucky is picking a U.S. senator. Could be. Do you think maybe that the voters said we want one guy in there as a check against some of this? You lived in my home state of Iowa for years. We had one of the more conservative senators in Grassley and one of the more liberal senators in Harkin, both reelected by the same population 
for 30 years because voters are independent. Jeff, I got a break. We got an update here. Patrick is giving us an update. There's a ruling in Minnesota on whether or not Trump will be on the ballot in Minnesota here. What's that ruling? Uh, the Supreme Court has rejected the movement to throw Trump off the ballot, so he will be eligible in uh, the Republican primary. Well, and, and you could see that cab coming because the Minnesota Supreme Court wanted nothing to do with this. But I think, Jeff, you and I both can say just real briefly on this. Uh, this is now off we go to the Supreme Court because I imagine that's where it's going next. And he's not been convicted of anything yet. Yeah. What happens later this year after something in Georgia or the, or in particular the District of Columbia? That... That I, Not having read the ruling, Patrick will read it during the break and report back, I'm sure. But what it comes down to, that's the crack research staff you have. But what it, it comes down to, it might have been a premature case because there was not a conviction. I'm not saying for that, sure. But well, that they, they, there was, when they were doing their arguments, it was partially that. Where's the conviction? It was also, you want to, something interesting. You talk about states' rights. They were clearly, it was like, well, the federal government needs to, to, to direct us on this. There was, there was an, a, a clear reluctance, not exactly a profile encourager. Let's just, <laughs> let's just, <laughs> not exactly a profile encourager, but they did their, they, the, 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 the train stopped at the station. It's now off to the Supreme Court because I have zero doubt in my mind um, that the people that are behind this are, are going to appeal it all the way up. If you don't start selling Matt McNeil show AM 950 t-shirts that read not a profile in courage, not exactly a profile, <laughs> you are missing an opportunity. I think you would fund the entire station for a full year and three additional months. If you started selling not exactly a profile in courage t-shirts, oh, get a kiosk at the mall of America. You're going to clean up, buddy. You're going to be so so too good for the likes of me after that. Indifferent slacker narrative always works in my generation. So there you go. I'll tell you what, let's take a break. I want to get back to last night because there was another yeah. underlying current on the social issues that really, I think, to a point was overlooked. But it is, once again, another failure of messaging by the Republicans because it's just not resonating. Jeff Stein joining us for his usual Wednesday visit, 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Jeff Stein joining us for his usual Wednesday visit. My point about not exactly a profile encourager, Jeff, uh, just reading the the, the 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 ruling here, they're referring back to when they heard the case a few days ago, about a week ago. Chief Justice Natalie Hudson started out saying, should we? You know, like, like I said, <laughs> not exactly. You know, should, should we do this? You know, okay, that's that's not exactly the, uh, the, 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 the first thing I want to hear from a Supreme Court. Uh, but I, I can tell you, when, when I've argued cases to a state Supreme Court or an appeals court, they might say, uh, well, Mr. McNeil, uh, tell us why we as the court should do this. What, what is the rationale? They don't look at you and go, I don't know. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Should we? Mm -hmm. you, know, uh, right. you want to do what now? <laughs> All right. So going back can to. I do that? Can I really do that? <laughs> I want to go back to election night here. Uh, okay. Something that happened in your state. Uh, a mom for liberties type group was trying to fund school board candidates. They got one down there. Uh, they have lost every other seat in, in, in a lot of them in very red school districts. So it tells you there, um, 
you had in the Kentucky governor's race. Uh, the Bashir's opponent was talking about, you know, trying to stop the LGBTQ agenda and trans rights including in Virginia as well. That was another issue. And by the way, they have a, the, the first transgender uh, house rep, I believe, in, in Virginia now after that election. There is this, okay, so on one side, to try to offset the beatings they've been taking after Roe v. Wade and from the, from the pro-choice crowd. They have tried to go after transgender people, the LGBTQ population. Last night, that was on the ballot and it lost overwhelmingly nationwide. No, it was, I, you cannot find a good kernel anywhere for Republicans. Yes, the, the one group of moms that really pushed certain things got beaten by the other group of moms that wanted things back toward the center. That's what wound up happening. Now, is that a bad thing? No, everybody's involved. That's not a bad thing at all. That's the check and balance of, of how the system is supposed to work. But, you know, as I said, you've got... Nobody that I see on the right, other than the DeSantis people trying to blame last night on Trump, other than that, I don't see any Republicans who are saying, well, you know, at least we dot, 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 we got our patootie handed to us. That's what they should be saying. And that's another fine T-shirt. Uh, it, it, it yeah, absolutely state fair value there. Uh, I will say, it's too, graphics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, here's your problem for the Republicans. You and I have talked about this. This is continuing to be a problem. We're looking like we're prophets at a point. But the reality is you and I have said as long as the far right of the Republican Party is constantly out there screaming about, you know, no, you know, no abortions ever, not even the life of the mother or is out there saying we're going to arrest and jail parents that have transgender kids the more they go down there that is not resonating they're not shutting up and i don't know if you are a mainstream or a moderate republican what you can do because as soon as you say hey i'm i'm open to to more uh you know more choice for women and when it comes to abortion you're going to have their partner in crime right down in the same party screaming about never 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 and i think this is a huge problem for the republicans well it is but i go back to the independence of voters because last year in the election voters in my state and others Big majorities for Republicans in the House and the Senate reelecting a governor. Okay, so now we're going to put in laws about abortion and about uh, books in schools, all of these things. Yet when it comes time to then execute these kinds of things later through other initiatives or school boards, the voters say, well, okay, now let's not go quite that far. Nobody was hiding an agenda, but the voters are basically saying we're not going to be lockstep consistent. We want, wait a second some kind of balance down the middle as opposed to draconian measures. And I think that's the real key from the evening is that be careful to your point. You go too far one direction and we're turning the car back. Well, and it's the problem is, is you're also being held accountable for your actions. And in Iowa, the school voucher program, it's already, I've seen some reports saying the vast majority of people using them never went to public school once. They're all for private school kids that are getting paid the, their, 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 the voucher program there. You know, you, 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 you go and do something like overturn Roe v. Wade, there are going to be consequences. Well, of course there are. But again, you had to have a plan for when it happened. You can't just raise money for... 49 years and say there because what, what was next 
because they never really thought it would happen. And that's the important part. That's why they have no message. They never thought they'd need one. George W. Bush in Iraq, remember, they they won, and all of a sudden it was 12 weeks later, they finally figured out what they were going to do with the country. I mean, it's that kind of that kind of still planning. All right, uh, we'll post the Iowa politics report later on. Thank you, Jeff. Hour two, that's coming up next. Hour number two of the show here. 952-946-6205, When it rains, it pours. Uh, going back to what Patrick was talking about here, just uh, reading from the breaking news, Rochelle Olson at the Star Trib. The Minnesota Supreme Court rejected a request Wednesday to bar former President Donald Trump from the 2024 ballot with under the U.S. Constitution's insurrection clause that dates to the post-Civil War Reconstruction era. The ruling came quickly. Five Now, once again, it should be noted, um, Steve Simon actually went in there, not taking a side. He just said, can you please just rule on this as fast as possible? And they did. Five justices heard the oral arguments in the case Thursday and sounded skeptical during the 70-minute session, to say the least. Should we? Uh, I mentioned that line here. Should we do it? The decision came on a petition filled in early September by a bipartisan group seeming to bar Trump in the Minnesota ballot based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The so-called insurrection clause prohibits former officers from holding office Again, if they've engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort to those who did. Now, I want to remind you what this, these are judges. These are Minnesota Supreme Court judges. They look at Donald Trump bringing his supporters intentionally to Washington, D.C. on a Wednesday morning work day, not a vacation, not over the holidays or anything. It's January 6th. It was a Wednesday, and he had them at a rally outside. Don't tell me there wasn't intent, for God's sakes. The only reason they were there was it was the same day they were validating the, 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 the Electoral College in Congress. He basically looks at the crowd, say, we're going to, what was it, was it, Giuliani, trial by fire, go get him. And he points to the Capitol and says, go get him, guys. And... He basically sends the mob to attack the U.S. Congress. And by the way, we should also mention that little part at the end there, or given aid or comfort to those who did. How many times has Donald Trump came on out after these people attacked the Capitol, beat cops, threatened to kill the vice president, his vice president, who apparently he was in the White House cheering him out, hang him, hang him, hang him. Apparently from Cassidy Hutchinson, that was her testimony, that he was giggling along with the idea of the vice president getting executed. The Speaker of the House was threatened. Democracy itself was threatened. They wiped their feces all over the building. And at the end of it, Donald Trump comes out. And as, as After, by the way, we find out he tried desperately to turn his Secret Service vehicle around and go back because he wanted to lead them up the stairs. And they're like, no way in hell we're letting you out of the car there. He basically comes on out and, I love you. You need to go home. Maryland and Virginia are about to send in their National Guard and they're going to kick your ass. So uh, go home. Love you. And then how many days? How many days has he since talked about these poor people that are being jailed? That's aid and comfort. It's a pretty clear cut case of insurrection to me. I don't know. I mean, you really are trying hard to split hairs. So maybe you just Wednesdays in January in the morning are the best times to have rallies at the Washington, D.C. When he said, go get them, 
Well, you know, how do we know? Maybe they're just trying to get him a donut. You guys tried really hard. Anyway, my guess is this is headed for the Supreme Court, and they'll have to make a decision on whether or not this is the case. So, yesterday was kind of an interesting day. Now, I'm going to get to St. Paul and Duluth here in just a little bit on the results from that election from yesterday. But I want to take some time with the good old-fashioned Minnesota Parents Alliance. This is that far-right group that is, for some reason, associated with Moms for Liberty. That was actually part of their resource page, Moms for Liberty, who defended quoting Hitler in a newsletter. Yeah, those people. I don't care who you are. You're associating with them. After that, you're a horrible person. Anyway, the, these, this group was trying to—I'm just going to read their, their, from their, their Twitter feed right now. It's, it's the, parents are not the problem. Parents are the solution. Okay, well then, parents, get off your damn ass and go and actually care about your kid's education. Because all these things that you guys keep complaining about really don't exist, that you can't find out what's going on in your classroom. I've had three kids in public school. I knew exactly what was going to go on in the classroom. I knew what subjects they were going to cover. I knew that if I complained about something, that they would find an alternative solution for it. That the the library wasn't trying to thrust hardcore triple X gay porn in my children's faces, as you guys insist has happened, or you basically, you, you, you say that a, a, a teacher can't say anything personal or anything like that. I mean, they're not exactly sharing. It's not like a, you know, a sex in the city episode. There's not like sharing their personal insight or anything. Not a lot of time, but apparently this is the, this is what they feel like they, they, they have to defend them. So, so yesterday was kind of interesting. I mean, the first of it, I mean, last night, here's, here's the tweet that they put out here. We had some incredible wins tonight. MPA-endorsed candidates were up against the political machine of unlimited resources that smeared and massively outspent them and still came out on top. Hmm. Parents won two or three seats in the largest district of the state. Uh, okay. Training for next year starts tomorrow. We're not going anywhere. Minnesota parents for the win. Wow. Wow. I mean, if you read that, it sounds like they had a great night, at least in that one school district, where they said they got two or three seats. So, And then they, oh, there another one today. Here you go. This is a few hours ago. We are so proud of all the candidates we're in, whether it was a win or a wake-up call to the community. Okay. MPA endorsed candidates delivered last night. All right. We have a lot to celebrate today. We are excited about 2024. Hmm. So, last night, um, because I've been paying attention to this. Because <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want extremism in my schools. I don't want extremism. And once again, I want to point to the great tweet that I had yesterday where the person says, I, the people that scream I want to get politics out of the classroom don't want to get politics out of the classroom. They just want their politics as the only politics in the classroom. And that's their whole goal. And that's 100% correctly. That, that they want it, basically they want to jam their agenda into the classroom and that's it. Donald Trump was the greatest president, and, and LGBTQ people are horrible, and they don't exist, and, and we're going to ban all these books, that sort of thing. I'm not a big fan of that. This group seems to kind of be carved from a certain level of that kind of wood there. So 
last night I went and took some time. You know, if you're going to put up all your endorsed candidates on your your website, and you got a guy like me who basically has time on his hands sometimes, you know, I just, I mean, it's election night. What am I going to do? Let's take a look at the, as, <clears throat> as they say here, um, a wake-up call to the community. Uh, the candidates delivered. Uh, we were up against a political machine. You guys actually spent a lot of money yourself, and you kind of, you know, you kind of went out there pretty hardcore. Um, they still came out on top. Oh, okay. That's what they said. They said that after the election. They said all those things. They still came out at the top. They delivered incredible wins tonight. Uh, uh, they uh, a wake-up call for the community. Uh, they delivered. Yeah, okay. So um, I'm going to just go through their list here of candidates because I can tell you um, they didn't really deliver. All right. I'll, how about I'll be nice to you guys? I'll be nice to the Minnesota Parents Alliance first. Okay. Let's talk about where you did. Eh, okay. Uh, the Anoka Hennepin County District, uh, there were three MPA candidates up for grabs um, in three seats. Linda Hochman, H-O-E-K-M-A-N. She was the woman that was featured in a lot of stories earlier this week when they people were bringing up this group. She did win. She finished. Uh, th- th- now, these all these races were ind- individual races for one seat. I'll get, you know, because that changes. And I just want to make sure we explain this as we go. She did win. She won first place. She got her seat. Zach Arco, really? Uh, he's still too close to call. Now, I will say this. It's like 11 votes. It's not enough votes. I, I still think he's going to win, but it's too close to call. So that will probably, I'm just not going to call it yet because it's not been called, but he's likely going to win that. But I mean, we're still going to label him as too close to call. The third guy, Scott Sim, Simmons, he lost. He, uh, and once again, it was a one winner take all race. He came in second. So, they did, I mean, they, they basically, um, and what was, the, what was the term that they used here? Parents won two or three seats in the largest district of the state. Yeah, six seats, uh, six total seats are on the Anoka Hennepin County School District. So you basically got a third, which, you know, I don't know if you understand math. Maybe you should spend some time in school. But um, as opposed to fantasizing about what kind of books are in the library, uh, if, you, if you paid attention to math, two is not a majority of six. It is a minority. Now, I don't know who else is on the Anoka Hennepin County School District, but you got a third of the school district, which means if the other four people vote against you, you're going to lose. So, sure, you got what looks to be two or three on that, but you're still only two of six people on that board. Good luck with that. Hastings, which we've already talked about, is a bit of a of a clown car. That actually, I think, was of, of the districts was their best response. They won two outright. Jenny Wendolt Pine won. Uh, Melissa Miller won. Uh, Philip Beermeyer, 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 he is still too close to call. Now, this was one of those races where... Um, it wasn't an individual race. There were four open seats. The top four vote getters get in. Um, and so two of them won. The other two are pretty close to the fifth place. And I think that that's like it's too close to call. Once again, I expect this guy to win. 
But then the, the they did have Nancy uh, uh, Blanchard. Is that her name? She lost there. But they uh, they did take first, second, looks to be fourth, and then eighth, eighth out of nine. And so that was that was a a, a power win, a power win for them. Not a complete victory. But Hastings is already kind of a, a, a bit of a mess with their far-right extremism. So, uh, yeah. So those were their, what was it? Those two school districts, two school districts. Um, parents won two or three seats in the largest district of the state, but you still don't have the majority there. Uh, but going through some of the words you're using here, they uh, wake up calls, delivered. Um, you, 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 you basically still came out on top. That's what it is. And so, sure. Okay, guys, let's give it up for them, all right? Two school districts, they did moderately okay in. Okay, let's go through the rest of their district, shall we? Invergrove Heights, they had uh, <laughs> they had a guy named Aaron uh, Brooksby. Uh, he lost. It wasn't even close. He that was a one winner take all in that race. He came in second, so that means he didn't win, and he wasn't close. So that's Invergrove Heights, uh, South St. Paul. That same thing. Winner takes all. Won there. John Wilcox lost. Not even close. Uh, he finished three out of four. Oh, Fridley, you went over two there. Uh, that was the top three. This is one of those districts where you had the top three candidates all went under the school board. Uh, Isbin and Roger, I can't even begin to say their last names because my writing is so bad. Uh, they finished fourth and fifth in a, in a race where you needed to finish in the top three. That would mean, oh, they did not win. And they weren't even close. Um, oh, Spring Lake Park, a little bit of a mixed bag there. Allie Schmidt won in her race, uh, but it was the top three people got in the school board and she had three, there was only three people on the ballot, so... You won, but you were going to win anyway. So I don't know if that's necessarily a, a you know, what's what's the word again? It was uh, came out on top. You know, uh, uh, it was a, a wake up call for the community. No, you just kind of fell into that one. Uh, Ryan McLaughlin, the other guy though, he lost. He finished. Uh, that was a a case where you had to winner take all in that one. That was an open seat, and that was he finished second. So that's not a win there. Um, Bloomington. Oh, Bloomington. You know, this is one of those districts where these far right guys really wish they could get back up there. Let's take a look at how they did in Bloomington. Oh my God. <laughs> loss, loss, loss. Uh, Ricardo, Sandra, Langa, all three candidates lost. Not even close. They got throttled in Bloomington. Top three win. And they finished four, five, and six in that one. And it, like I said, it was a pretty steep drop off from three to four. Uh, Hopkins, they did win in Hopkins, but once again, this is another one of those cases where there were four candidates and there were four open seats. So, falling forward is the the great win there for Kaj Thompson, who, by the way, still finished four hundred votes less than everyone else. So people looked at a ballot. I want to make sure you <laughs> You go in there, you look at your ballot. I looked at my ballot. This is, I was from, I'm from Hopkins. So I looked at the ballot. You had four candidates and they said top four win. And yet, even with that scenario, 
400 people still did not vote for you because of the four, he finished in fourth. 400 behind the third place finisher. So, uh, Minnetonka. Oh, yeah. This is, oh boy, oh boy. They had, uh, uh, they did get one win. Um, Miss Foss, is it? Here's an interesting trick. Someone told me that this is a person who was not only endorsed by Education Minnesota, but also by the Minnesota Parents Alliance. And she actually won fairly handily. She won in her, uh, on that seat. Uh, it was the top four got on in the school board in, in Minnetonka. She finished first, well ahead of everyone else. So there's one win for you. The other three they ran in Minnetonka, no, 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 no not even close. They finished out of the top four, five, six, and seven out of seven. And uh, yeah, that's uh, Brandon, Chris, and Karen. Eh, better luck next time. Not even close. St. Peter. Okay, so here we are. St. Peter. This is got to be a shoo-in, right? Out in rural America? Yeah, okay. St. Peter. Uh, now, for some reason, this was delayed, uh, but Stacy Stewie, the incumbent, she did manage to barely hold on to her seat. She finished four out of four. She finished in fourth place, barely. The other two in St. Peter, Bill and Crystal, eh, they both lost. They finished six and seven out of nine. So, once again, not exactly great. I'll tell you what. I did the entire thing. It's a hoot. Let me take a break. Let's come on back. Let me break down more of the, the Minnesota Parents Alliance. You know, you know, you know, you know they, how they delivered. How they, they showed them who's boss. Ugh, their good winning strategy. Uh, I'll break down more of that when I do return. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on the AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. So we're going through the Minnesota Parents Alliance who who insist uh, that they basically, they uh, they, they, they sent a message. It's a wake-up call to the community. They they delivered last night. They're, They're celebrating. Uh, that, uh, what was the, the other thing there? Um, that they, they, they still came out on top, you know, not so much. Uh, they really, uh, didn't really do so much. Uh, West Tonka school district, they lost there. They were, they were looking for, uh, four school board members there. Uh, their, their guy finished Christopher. He finished in fifth and he was not even close. Why Zeta? Bit of a mixed bag. Uh, it was, uh, Valentina did win. Uh, same situation, four seats open. So you know, the top four won. She finished four out of five, but she was way behind number three. Duluth, this was the one that was weird. I couldn't figure out who is this? Francis Wittenberg? She lost and badly in Duluth. Uh, she was a write in candidate. <laughs> How'd that go? Uh, finished three out of three. Uh, not even close. Not, I mean, yeah. Uh, Stillwater, Stillwater. I mean, this is this is Republican territory, isn't it? They've they've got Republican representatives and senator. This is Republican territory. This should be it. Oh nope, they lost. Uh, Jessica Johnson, uh, not even close. Two for two. She finished second. Uh, they were only looking for the top finisher. Uh, she finished in second place, which means no. Uh, South Washington, 
Uh, this is uh, the South Washington area. This is once again, you'd say to yourself, oh, this is, um, this is going to be uh, a situation where it's a uh, uh, you know a overwhelming Republican area. They're going to they're going to nope, it didn't. Ryan Clark won. He it was the top three got on the school board. He finished third. The other two guys, Anthony and Jamie, finished fifth and sixth out of eleven. So no, uh, they they did not. Moundsview. Someone point out they they spent twelve thousand dollars on the Moundsview school board race, and only forty one hundred people voted for all four of their candidates which is $3 per voter. That doesn't even include all the money their candidates spent. Ah, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a pretty funny if that is true. Moundsview, they had four, four candidates. Oh, they were going to, they were going to take Moundsview back. Oh, yes. And well, no, no, that's a loss. That's a loss. That's a loss. That's a loss. They took the four top vote getters. They finished 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th, and it wasn't even close. That is a good investment. Oh, yes. Um, this is where it gets funny because these next four, they went over. Um, we'll start in Chisago Lakes. Chisago Lakes, once again, Republican territory. This should have been the, the Minnesota Parents Alliance should have – oh, they lost. Oh, yeah. This was just the top vote getter and Aaron Oaken – their candidate lost two of two. Roseville, uh, this is, uh, of course, you know, they're saying to themselves, they could win up in Roseville. Top three candidates would win. They finished fourth, fifth, and sixth. Alan, Carl, and Adam. Hey, at least they finished against uh, ahead of Von Klingenberg. That was the guy that was a Holocaust denier. So, you know, I guess that's a win. Or is it for you guys? I don't know. Columbia Heights. Oh, another loss. Uh, you top vote getter one. You finish second out of three. That's Cheryl Erkstad. She will not be on the school board in Columbia Heights. Also not on the school board, this time in Rosemont, Apple Valley. Lori, Melissa, Teresa, Kim, lose, 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 lose. Not even close. Top four vote getters move on to the school board. They finish fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. So on the endorsement page of the MPA, Minnesota Parents Alliance, who we're coming out on top. All these good stuff. Their final tally. Now, and I'm not going to include the guys that have not been counted. That they, they, they're still too close to call race. I'm just going to call the ones that I, that I do have here. They won nine and lost 33. Oh, yeah. That's a, uh, well, it's time for Matt's Math Corner. Uh, <laughs> let's just, let me just pull open the old calculator for a second here. Uh, nine divided by 33. And that's 27%, which means you lost 73% of the time. Wow, that's great. You lost 33 of your races yesterday. Even if the two too close to call races go your side, you still only won a third of your races. I don't know. Is that is that really still came out on top? I, I don't I don't think that's still coming up. It was incredible wins. I don't, I don't see any incredible wins here. Um, it was a wake-up call for the community. <laughs> Yo, Rip Van Winkle's still sleeping. Um, they delivered. The candidates delivered. Yeah, they delivered a lot of losses. I actually had someone get in touch with me after I posted some of the initial numbers from last night and said, Matt, you don't get it. 
the whole plan was to win Anoka Hennepin. So they ran all these other candidates and spent all this other money to basically keep you guys preoccupied so that they could go get the win. Oh, yeah. We showed you. Yeah, you showed us you're a bunch of idiots and you don't know how to win a campaign and you're willing to throw away a heck of a lot of money. That's what you showed us. And a reminder, once again, of your big win scenario in Anoka Hennepin, you still only have, at best, if that too-close-to-call seat goes your way, two out of six seats. Not a majority. You guys think to yourself that this extremism sells. It doesn't. This is just more proof of it. You went over in Bloomington, in Moundsview. You, you lost all the races in Fridley. You lost all the I mean, you had, and these are all races where you had multiple candidates. You lost all four in Rosemont Apple Valley. You lost three in Roseville. You guys were pathetic. This sure, I mean, you got to get really freaking myopic to basically like we had the winning candidates. We did great. You know. Clearly, I don't think you might understand what the word great means. Uh, you know, maybe you should have stayed in school, you know, <laughs> as opposed to worrying about what books are in the library, you know, basic English and stuff like that. That might have helped you guys. I would say this. You sure wasted a lot of money. But, hey, I, I have zero doubt in my mind. You will continue to tell us every day about how you persevered because – that's all you guys got at this point. Good luck in 2024. Good luck. <laughs> Hate doesn't win, man. Hate does not win. Let's take a break. Come on back. Let's get into Duluth and St. Paul when we do return. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. The progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Yeah, the uh, the Minnesota Parent Alliance success rate is uh, nine for forty four, with two uh, having remained yet to be called. The educator endorsement success rate was forty five out of fifty four. Now, sure, they might have won one or two seats, and don't get me wrong, the the the, the two clowns that won up in 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 Anoka Hennepin, they were they were very culture warry. But I want to make sure we understand there were, as I heard from multiple people, there were really culture war in some of these other st- races too. In Bloomington, Minnetonka, Rosemont, Apple Valley, Roseville, Fridley, and it did not fly. So if you're looking for a really bad success rate, may I suggest that, hey, Republicans, follow what they did. <laughs> Good luck with that. Oh, God. You know, maybe, you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe you should, I don't know, campaign on the issues and try to make policies that appeal to the mass. Nah, never mind. I couldn't even finish that. I was starting to laugh too hard. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, Duluth. We head up north there, though. Yeah, don't you know. Duluth Mayor Emily Larson conceded to challenger Roger Reinhardt on Tuesday night. 
before any results were even reported. For eight years, we faced tough city challenges together and faced a global pandemic, Larson said to a room full of supporters at the Lincoln Park Brewery standing with their family. We never, ever let those challenges stop us. A half hour later, Reinhardt spoke to a crowd of his supporters a mile away, saying he had just spoken to Larson. She was kind in her concession. He said he wants to proceed in the same vein. Uh, we want to move forward with it from a challenging election to bring our community back together. He said, whether you supported me or whether you didn't, I'm still the mayor for this entire community. Voters in Duluth decided an intense race over the next leader of the city of 86,000. The two-term incumbent on the former state lawmaker, Reinhardt, won by 60-40% margin with all precincts reporting. About half of Duluth's registered voters cast ballots in the mayoral race. Larson, the city's first female leader, faced college instructor Reinhardt in a high-stakes race that included a lopsided primary, more than a dozen debates, big money, and intense campaigning. Each candidate had the support of political action committees. Nearly $500,000 been spent on the nonpartisan race which, race, which both candidates are longtime DFLers. Supporters called Larson a leader who shepherded a city through his COVID pandemic, made progress in tough areas such as streets, housing, and economic development, was fast-forward forward-thinking, and her prioritization of the climate resiliency as extreme weather batters the city. Her detractors said she was too ambitious, too focused on niche projects and societal problems at the expense of basic city services. Reinhardt supporters said they wanted someone new in the leadership role after eight years, with Reinhardt offering a new direction, sharper focus on core city services. He's been criticized for making unrealistic promises to voters, such as improving services without raising taxes. Good luck with that. Um, a, a pretty substantial shift there. I mean... Duluth is interesting. I, I, I've spent more time up there lately. And, and you know, you get on the, if you're not on the top of the hill there, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, the, the north side of the, on the, on the, the north shore there and up on top of the hill generally runs more conservative, but it is a deep blue in the city. And that's, that, that's Duluth basically deciding, you know what, it's, that's too progressive for us. So they went with a more moderate candidate and, you know, it, it, it you know to a point it can resonate. I mean, it's not like I just saw the story that the the a Republican won in the Bronx, uh, out there, and I said, well, okay, but yeah, you have to remind yourself, it's not exactly like Speaker Johnson ran in the Bronx and won. No, you had basically a moderate Democrat who who was who was disguising themselves as a Republican. And that's who ran out there. That's not the case here. It wasn't someone that extreme. He I mean he's a Democrat, that's for sure. But this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier in the show. There is parts of this where I do kind of wonder a little bit about whether or not, when you look at inner cores of cities, are they as liberal as people say they are? And once again, Minneapolis, I think, is probably the most liberal of all of them. But you know, they didn't get the veto-proof majority. It doesn't look like it, at least. You know, obviously, that's an issue by issue basis sort of thing. But um, you know, I, I think in Duluth, you know, you had a, you know, I, I'm not saying it, it was a, it's not exactly they went to the Republican side, but they did take a bit of a step back towards the middle uh, to to move on with Reinhardt. So obviously, there we go to St. Paul with all precincts reporting. All three St. Paul City Council incumbents easily prevailed in their reelection campaigns, and the slate of three DFL endorsed newcomers appear to be doing well as well. If all holds up, St. Paul will have its first all-women city council in the city's history with women of color making up the majority. Incumbents uh, uh, Mitra Jalali, uh, Nelsie Yang, and Rebecca Onoker 
won re-election in their wards. Four of the seats guaranteed to welcome new newcomers. Voters chose between 30 candidates in St. Paul for the council's seven seats. Although the races which were contested and technically nonpartisan, the DFL uh, endorsed candidates in six wards. Um, they, they, they endorsed Sarah Jost, Hua Yong Kim, and Shaniqua Johnson. Jost, Kim, Johnson all garnered the most uh, first-choice ballots in their races. Remember, it's ranked-choice voting in, in St. Paul. But not did not declare victory. Tuesday's second-choice and third-choice ballots had not been reported as of Tuesday night. Uh, candidates will receive 50% of the vote or more on first-choice ballots are all declared winners. Jost received about 49% of the first-choice voters in Ward 3. Kim received about 52% of the first-choice votes in Ward 5 and declared victory early in the morning. Um, Johnson received about 41% of the first choice votes in Ward 7, said it was too close to call her race on Tuesday night. Challenger um, Pat Darvang came in a second to Johnson with about 36% of the first choice votes. That's still a lot to overcome, though. Right now, I'm not saying it's not possible. Andrea Jenkins, I mean, that was a pretty big comeback on the second ballot there, on the second choice. Right now, I'm just celebrating with folks in the ward because they've worked really hard for this, for not only the campaign, but for our communities. Ward 1 candidate Anika Bowie, who is not endorsed by the DFL, but who has support of three uh, DFL-endorsed candidates, declared victory in her race. Bowie ran against seven others and led with 40% of the vote, followed by James Lowe with 20%. We've cleaned up. We're making it known right now that we don't even have to wait. We got it. We've worked hard, and the people showed up. And let's get ready to celebrate. The DFL did not endorse anyone in the race for World Ward 1, which included the Rondo and Frogtown neighborhoods and parts of the North End and Summit University neighborhoods as well. Bowie is supported by key progressive groups like Take Action Minnesota, Outfront Minnesota, as well as officials like Attorney General Keith Ellison, State Senator Aaron Murphy, the DFL from St. Paul. She faced a strong challenge by Lowe, who has raised twice as much money as Bowie. Um, and boasts endorsements from several labor unions and public officials like State Senator um, Hogg, uh, the DFL from St. Paul. So pretty cool, first of all. Can I say this? An all-women city council and majority uh, women of color, outstanding. That is cool, man. It's, it's in, you know, it seems so timid in St. Paul compared to Minneapolis. Um, I will make the same point. I mean, although I did have someone comment to me saying, Matt, you know, the DFL doesn't really help in outstate areas. They they play their favorites and that's what they do. Yeah, but you, you shouldn't be working against the DFL candidates if you did have an endorsement. And it, although it wasn't as bad as it was in Minneapolis and St. Paul, you did have a little bit of that as well. You had a an endorsed candidate and yet there were DFLers who were actively campaigning against them. And so I, I don't, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, you, you got to figure this stuff out. And, you know, I understand people want to try to win stuff and you want individuals to have their own choice and their own voice. But you know, I, it sure sends a lot of real mixed messages to have a DFL endorsed candidate. And then, oh, by the way, here are the bunch of DFLers to endorse the other guy, other woman, whatever the case may be. Nine five two nine nine four six six two zero five, in what is sure to generate a lot of exploding far rightos heads. Tuesday's election, six in ten St. Paulites on the ballot box voted yes to increase the city's sales tax by one percent to pay for roads and infrastructure projects. The sales tax measure didn't just win by a wide majority across St. Paul; it also won almost everywhere in the city. Star Tribune analysis of the election results showed. 
Kathy Lantry, a longtime former Eastside Council member and a leader in the vote yes efforts and the uh, the high margin, didn't surprise her. She did said support was widespread across the city from groups like Isaiah and labor unions. And more importantly, it was no secret that St. Paul's roads have deteriorated. <laughs> what was Cooligan's comment yesterday? They're a mess. <laughs> I think that's what he said. He lives in St. Paul. They're a mess. People are not are, are out driving around. It's not like this is a manufactured problem. No, I've hit a few potholes in St. Paul, dude. That I mean, you know, I coming out, I'm breaching like a whale. Come on, dude. You gotta you gotta clean those up. The 1% sales tax is expected to generate $738 million for streets and bridges, $246 million for parks and recs. Over 20 years, sales tax advocates argued that infrastructure has deteriorated the tax base challenge St. Paul. The money is needed to fund repairs. They also argue the burden of a sales tax should is shouldered not just by residents, but also by people visiting the city, buying goods and services. Opponents said St. Paul's taxes are already high, and they argued the additional tax could hurt small businesses, urge people to make purchases outside of St. Paul. I don't think I think you're, I think you're honestly feeling. Wait a second, that that orange cost me a dollar one as opposed to one dollar. I'm out of here. I'm going to get in my car and drive, wasting three gallons of gas to go to Minneapolis and buy it cheaper. Okay, good luck with the logic problem there. I don't think it works that way. Uh, they say sales taxes are aggressive and outsized effort to low, for, uh, effect on low-income people. Now that I will agree with. That is that is that is the problem with them. It is better to have a fair tax standard as in just your tax base as opposed to just impose a sales tax. Now that being said, it is amazing that how many times you will get. Um, something like this coming up. And yet what happens is that, you know, you explain where the money's going. You put in some guardrails to prevent there from being abuse of the money. And it goes to specific things. Now, the only thing I would be worried about is you should have a priority list of all the roads that are the worst roads, not the roads in the wealthier neighborhoods, but all roads. If roads are bad, you have to raise the taxes, go fix them. Then the worst roads should be fixed first. Don't use this as a way to just fix certain neighborhoods' roads and not other ones. All right? That being said, you know, once again, common sense, if you, you just say, hey, this is going to go for the roads, we're going to use it for the roads. Some people say, well, there's plenty of money being used for the roads. Well, clearly not. <laughs> Do you want to test out your shocks? Well, go for a drive through St. Paul. You shall. And it, you'll say to yourself, it's like I'm on a cobblestone street, and you're not. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. By the way, Ivanka Trump went to the trial today. Tell you how busy this day has been. I'll, ta- I'll tell you a little bit about that when we do return. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. The Minnesota Parents Alliance, the Gil Gunderson of PACS. It's the, well, the things are going my way soon. <laughs> the Simpsons. Gil from The Simpsons. Oh, boy, my life's turning around now. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We had a great day. No, it really was. It was great. We did so well. 
Former President Trump's daughter, Ivanka, took the stand when... Sorry. I have no idea. <laughs> took to the stand on Wednesday in the ongoing New York civil trial trial that threatens his family's business empire. Oh, I think it's already gone. Ivanka is expected to be the member of the Trump family to give testimony after the former president himself testified early this week. Uh, she, in June, she was dismissed from the $250 million lawsuit brought by the New York Attorney General, Tisha James, against Trump and the business associates of the Trump Organization. However, James still sought Ivanka Trump's testimony in the case arguing she indisputably has knowledge, personal knowledge, and facts relevant to the case uh, against the remaining individuals in in, uh, and entity defendants. Ivanka faced questions about her role in securing a loan from Deutsche Bank for her father's Dorel Golf Resort and Spa in Florida. James alleges that Trump inflated his net worth in order to secure the loan. He was also required to submit annual financial statements as part of the loan agreement. Per the New York Times, Ivanka also faced questions about Deutsche Bank's loans to other Trump properties. She testified that she was not involved in the preparation of her father's financial statements, which are at the center of James's lawsuit. I would presume he would have personal finance statements for accountants, but those were not statements I was privy to, Ivanka said. There's a reason why she was dismissed from the trial. Ivanka has sought to delay her testimony, arguing parents during a school week could cause undue hardship. Steele appeals the court rejected a request for a stay. Trump and his two eldest sons, you know, you know, Beavis and Butthead, were also defendants in the case. Have already taken the stand in the trial. During the testimony on Monday, the former president, the, the former president, sparred with New York Judge Arthur. Uh, well, you know, just nah, I don't need to go into the rest of that. I will say this: this is one thing that's interesting about Ivanka's testimony has allowed New York prosecutors to enter key documents into evidence in her family's fraud trial. Former President Trump's eldest daughter testified on Wednesday that she did not recall nearly any of the loan terms or negotiations, even when shown email conversations she took part in at the time. But her participation in those communications allowed prosecutors to enter those documents as evidence in the judge may consider. Some of these documents I've already noted are damning, uh, Rubin noted. This is Lisa Rubin from MSNBC. In a piece of news analysis posted to MSNBC, uh, especially Ivanka's admission to an internal Trump org email that the uh, terms offered by Deutsche Bank Private Wealth Management Group were as good as they get, even concerns about Trump's ability to satisfy the bank uh, covenants were in doubt. The Trump organization was unable to secure favorable loan terms for Doral in Florida through commercial real estate lenders or private equity firms, including Trump ally Tom Barrick's Colony Capital. So they turned to Rosemary Vlabic at Deutsche Bank. Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Vlabic. Private wealth management group unable to find financing with acceptable interest rates. Ivanka was rescued by Rosemary Vlabic who offered an interest rate that was almost too good to be true in exchange for two key variables, a personal guarantee from Donna Trump and a minimum net worth of $2.3 billion, which he doesn't sound like he was worth, exclusive to be estimated value of his brand. Those were not incidentals to Deutsche Bank's decision to lend. They were, in fact, instrumental in that decision. And that's why he's in trouble. Ivanka Trump seemed to recognize the terms were almost too good to be true because she said in an internal Trump organization email that it doesn't get better than this. Well, <laughs> it actually doesn't, does it? Oh, God. They are all in, you know, 
Okay, so once again, if you missed the breaking news during this hour, Minnesota Supreme Court has ruled that they're not going to get in the way and remove Trump from the ballot in the upcoming presidential election, even though he clearly is guilty of violating Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, the Insurrection Clause. He clearly is guilty of that. But yet, you know, not as I said with Stein, not exactly a profile in courage here. Needless to say, it's going to go up to the Supreme Court. I mean, if it doesn't go up to the Supreme Court with Minnesota, it's going to go up with Colorado for sure. And Colorado's having a full-blown case, and they, you know, it it does not look good for Trump's case chances in Colorado. But that being said, it's it's how many you know how many more convictions does he need before people start abandoning him? And frankly, if you watch the election last night, and I'm not agreeing with DeSantis, but this extremist. It's, it's, I don't necessarily think this is Trump. I think it's what Trump's unleashed. This extremist, far-right nastiness that is the Republican Party today. That the, 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 MAGA, the MAGA far-right Freedom Caucus nutbags, that they are the ones that are ruining their party. And as long as they are in control, which they are, and they're doing all the messaging, which they are, things aren't going to get good for the Republicans. And I, you know, we'll have to see. But hey, no, maybe maybe a few convictions will make him a little more palatable to the voters. Maybe that's the case. I I believe that. So hey, guess what? I am not going to be here for a few days. I will be taking some time off. Todd Mickelson is going to be filling in for me. Thank you very much, Todd. Outstanding stuff. Brand new shows tomorrow, Friday, Monday. I am back on a Tuesday. Have a fantastic weekend. Have a good time here. Native Roots Radio, I am Wake. That is coming up next. Thank you guys all for voting. Thank you guys yesterday for all that you did. I appreciate that. We'll back on Tuesday. Till then, see ya.